0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Ruth, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I do need to get one thing out of the way, and and that is my favorite biblical joke. And if you've been around long enough, you've heard me tell it before. So I'll say it to you if you've never heard it, and if you've heard it, don't ruin it. What kind of a man was Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. All right, moving on. Let me actually begin by asking all of you, what's the worst thing you've ever experienced in life? The answer should not be this joke, because it's a great joke. (laughs) But seriously, what is the worst thing you've ever experienced? Maybe you worked someplace at a store, and that place got robbed. And you were there when it happened. Maybe you had your car broken into, and some valuable things were stolen. Maybe in school you cheated on a test. You plagiarized a paper, and you got caught. Maybe you were doing some underage, illegal behavior and got busted by your parents. Maybe you had an accident and were injured really badly and never recovered. Maybe you were diagnosed with some terrible disease. Maybe it was something that could be operated on. Maybe it was something that couldn't. Maybe you lost a family member your parents. Most of us expect that our parents are not going to outlive us, but that doesn't make it easy when they pass away. Maybe you lost a child. Maybe you lost multiple children. Parents are not supposed to outlive their children. Maybe you lost the love of your life, your spouse, There are probably not very many things worse than losing your spouse, the love of your life, or losing a child, your flesh and blood. And in our church, you usually have many people who have gone through loss. Most of us have experienced the loss of parents, and some have experienced the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child. In the story of Ruth, you begin with the two main characters who go through a loss. You have Ruth and you have Naomi. And Naomi is married to Elimelech and has two sons. And they left Bethlehem and Judah because of famine and went and lived in Moab, where eventually the two sons married two women, Ruth and Orpah. So Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. And in the course of time that were not given, Naomi's husband Elimelech dies. And then her two sons both die. And so Naomi is left with just her daughters in law. And Naomi had heard that God had provided for the people of Israel. And so she was going to go and return home to Judah, back from this foreign land of Moab where she probably had no relatives. And so rather than taking her daughters in law, To this foreign land, at least foreign to them, she says, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And then both women are like, No, 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 we're coming with you. And Naomi's like, Why would you come with me? Do I have other sons for you to marry? No. And even if I became pregnant with two sons, would you, would you wait around for them to marry them? No, just just go. It's too hard for me because the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. I mean, you can just imagine the pain of Naomi here when she says, the Lord has gone out against me. We live in a world where tragedies strike all the time. People lose their lives daily. And it's easy to put the blame somewhere. And there are plenty of people that will say that if there is a God above, why didn't he do anything about it? Naomi's feeling it. She just wants to leave everything behind, including these daughters-in-law. They weren't having it. Though finally, Orpah does leave to go back to her people and to her gods. But Naomi, but Ruth clings to Naomi. And that's quite an image that you have there of, of clinging to. Now, those of you who have children or have ever had children may know or remember the feeling of your children clinging to you because they don't want you to leave or because wherever they're going, they want you to go with you too. Jonah, who was here earlier, right, he's two. And he does this when we drop him off at daycare. Now, he's fine after we leave, but it's that hugging you tightly, right? And if you're, if you're actually holding him, he does it with his legs too, right? So we, he hugs you tight with his arms, and then he clings to you with his legs as well. So you kind of feel it all in your upper body. You may know what it feels like to have a child do this to you. But what if you're an adult? Can you imagine doing this to your mother-in-law? I mean, none of us are perfect. And not all of us nev- necessarily have a great relationship with our in-laws. But if you were to lose a spouse, how many of you would cling to your mother-in-law And say to your mother in law what Ruth says to Naomi where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Add on to the fact that you going back with your mother in law means that you're leaving all of your family behind, all your relatives, all your support, all your people. You just give it up and go. I don't know how many of us would follow in Ruth's footsteps. What it does also mean for Ruth, compared to Orpah, is that she's leaving behind her gods. And she makes it clear when she says, your God will be my God. In her plea, she had pledged loyalty and faithfulness to Naomi and to her family. And she makes this confession of faith about God as well. And so they go. They head back to Judah, to Bethlehem. And then we see Boaz enter the picture. Now there's a number of things we learn about Boaz that are important. The first is that he's a relative of Naomi's. And that he's a worthy man. So socially, legally, economically, his status in the town, he was pretty well-respected. He was somebody you probably wanted to be friends with. We also find out that he owns a field that Ruth is going to glean from. And if you don't know what it means to glean, it means to gather whatever is left by the reapers. Now, God had actually made this provision in his laws in the book of Leviticus that the farmer was to leave the grains in the corners of the field. And also, he was not to make a clean harvest of the field, but to leave ample grain for the poor, for the sojourner, for the foreigner. So that they would be able to come to the field and pick up the leftovers. I mean, they still had to work for it, but those who were in need were provided for. That's how people cared for other people in these days. And Ruth, a foreigner, she does this, and she ends up gleaning in Boaz's field. And when he meets her, he had already heard about her relationship to Naomi, and he says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So we learn also that Boaz is a believer. He's a follower of God. The last thing that we find out about Boaz from Naomi, after Ruth fills her in about her day, is that Boaz is a redeemer. Now, you might also hear the term referred to as guardian redeemer or kinsman redeemer. When you think about the term redeem, you think about buying back. And so this redeemer is a relative who is responsible for protecting the interests of needy members of the extended family. And so back in these days, they would redeem, they would buy back an estate of a deceased relative, which meant that that relative had sold their land to somebody outside the family. They would also redeem relatives who had sold themselves into slavery. These redeemers would also avenge the non-accidental killing of a relative. And lastly, and this is what's most important, is in Deuteronomy chapter 25, this comes into play in the story as well. This is the law that says the dead husband's brother can marry the woman, his sister-in-law, and then the firstborn son would be the heir of the dead husband and would also receive that husband's, that dead husband's, inheritance. So even though there were no living brothers of Ruth's dead husband, a close relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband, could do this. And in this way, the name of Ruth's dead husband, Malon, would not become extinct. If we fast forward the story, we find that Naomi becomes matchmaker for Ruth and Boaz. And Boaz intends to become Ruth's redeemer. And he intends to marry her. However, there is a closer relative than Boaz, another redeemer, and he needs to be given the opportunity to redeem the land and potentially marry Ruth first and thus provide an heir for Malan. So Boaz meets with this closer redeemer and the elders of the city and lays it out. And this closer redeemer says, "'I cannot redeem it for myself, "'lest I impair my own inheritance, Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So after this kinsman refused his right to redeem, Boaz then is free to marry Ruth himself. And so in a very special and unique way, God used Boaz to fulfill the very prayer or blessing which Boaz had given to Ruth, this foreigner, when they first met. Because the Lord did bless And reward Ruth in a very meaningful way. As you heard, Ruth's first son was named Obed. And Obed became the father of Jesse. And Jesse became the father of David. So Ruth is David's great-grandmother. This foreign woman now had a place where she belonged. And her family became a great nation. A royal family. And the line of Judah is now connected to David. And the line of David goes all the way, as you heard it already, goes to Jesus. And when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, you see that Boaz's mom is none other than Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. Because God uses sinners. He uses foreigners to accomplish his plans. And because of this Redeemer, Boaz, we have our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, all a part of God's plan. And that leads us to you. When we think about Ruth's plea to Naomi, right? Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Put this into context of your life with God and ask yourself, how well do you do following God, making him your only God? Or are there other things that get in in the way of him being your number one priority? Loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are there things that you dedicate more time and effort into instead of God? Are you more concerned with work and making money than worshiping? Are you more concerned with sports and being involved in them, or your kids and making sure they're involved in them, than raising your children in the church? Are you more concerned with teaching your kids math and science and economics compared to teaching them about God's word? Are you more concerned with raising your children to be good, upstanding citizens rather than being faithful followers of Christ? And do you fail to follow Christ faithfully? I know I do. I am not faithful every single minute of every single day. I sin. And when we sin... We show God that we are not faithful to him. That we are not loyal to him. That he is not our number one priority. That where he goes, we do not follow. That where he goes, we go in the opposite direction. That where he stays or lodges or makes himself known to us, through the word, through the sacraments, in his church, we say, nah, I don't need that. And his people, brothers and sisters in Christ, that he has called as his very own. When we fail to gather with them as the body of Christ, we are saying, I don't need you. I don't need the body of Christ. I am my own body. I can take care of myself. Do you want to have your best life? Then be here. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to put aside all of the earthly things, the earthly temptations. You have to deny yourself and all of those pleasures of the world. If you don't want to have your best life, then don't be here. Because outside of God, outside of his word, outside of his means of grace, his sacraments, it may seem like the best life, Because it seems like you have all these freedoms in the world. You get to do all these seemingly fun things. You get to go wherever you want, do whatever you want. And you think that you are living your best life, that you are saving your life. But you're really a slave to sin. And a slave to sin is not really free and doesn't really have life. In fact, Jesus said, you will lose your life. Because of sin, we all go through a loss. We lose our life. That's because the result of sin is death. We will all one day lose our life. And it might mean a slow, painful death from some uncurable disease. It might mean a quick and painless death as we close our eyes and never wake up. Now, I don't actually know if that's painless or not, but I think most of us imagine that dying in your sleep is just that. None of us know what the outcome of our life is going to be. But it is certain that death will come for us all unless Christ returns first. We all face death. Physical death, yes, because of sin. But we also face eternal death. Hell. Being forever separated from God. God. That freedom from him that we thought we wanted on this earth, by saving our life, living for ourselves and ourselves alone, living our best earthly life, actually results in our death. And it results in being completely free of God and his love and his grace for all eternity. That's what hell is. Now it's easy to hear that and feel completely and utterly hopeless because none of us are perfect. And what can we do about it? Nothing. We can't save ourselves. Or as the first Redeemer said to Boaz, I cannot redeem it. We cannot get ourselves out of sin and death. And if this world really is full of death, and if sin is really all of the reason that bad things in life happen, it's easy to think that if there really is a God above, why doesn't he do something about all this sin and death that happens? Because if he's not taking care of the sin and death problem, then he is the one to blame for it all. The good news is that he did. You heard in the New Testament reading from First Peter. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish or defect. With the precious blood of Christ, we are redeemed. Jesus Christ comes as the perfect Lamb, the sinless Son of God, the true man and true God, to die on the cross. To die for us, to redeem us, to buy us back with the shedding of his blood, giving up his life for us. Unlike Boaz, Jesus doesn't just redeem us or buy us back in order to give us an heir, he buys us back in order to make us heirs because of Christ and his death and resurrection, we all gain something. We gain the forgiveness of our sins. We gain eternal life for all who believe. And when Jesus redeems us, he brings us into his family. In baptism, he puts his name on us. In baptism, the Holy Spirit creates faith in us. In baptism, we become God's children. We are heirs, and heirs inherit By grace, not because we deserve it. By faith, which has been gifted to all of us as a gift. He gives us his word, which creates faith in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes to us in his supper to give us his body and his blood. These are God's means of grace. This is what God has given to his people, his church, for their blessing and benefit for us to receive as often as possible. It doesn't matter if there is still sin on this earth. Or, sorry, it doesn't mean that there isn't still sin on this earth. It doesn't mean that there are still no consequences for our sins, because there are. We still have the loss of our earthly life. Death is still the punishment for sin. And it's still something that we all go through in life. But Jesus came to take care of sin and death for the life that is to come. For eternal life. Where for those who believe there is no more sin, there's no more death, no more tragedies, no more earthquakes, no more wildfires ripping across the lands, no more hurricanes, no more tornadoes, No more loss of parents and spouses and children. Because of her faith, Ruth, a foreigner, a widow, was looked after. And she belonged to the one true God, the Lord himself. And she inherited, she gained eternal life. And it is by faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we gain. And so where God goes, we can follow. That where he makes himself known to us in the word and sacraments, we can come and hear and receive his blessings and benefits. That where he calls and gathers his people, that we come and gather with them as well. That he is our bridegroom and we are his bride. That he is our God all the time. And we are able to believe in him and be faithful to him all of our days. So that when our last day on earth comes, we don't look at all the things that we've accomplished in this life and that's why we're saved. No. Rather, we see the cross and we see the empty grave. And we see what Christ has accomplished for us, how he has made us heirs, and how he has redeemed us and gave us life and salvation. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.